Thanks for joining. Today is May 22nd, and if you're here today, it's to learn a thing or two about medical provider claims in New Jersey. And I'm hoping uh, you brought some great questions with you today as we explore this interesting topic. I don't care how big or small you are as either an insurance carrier or an self-insured or large deductible uh, client. Medical provider claims in New Jersey, along with reopeners, are two of the banes of your existence. These are the types of cases that frustrate everyone, um, that are difficult to close, and my goal today is to really talk about some specific strategies that you can use uh, to get your medical provider claims uh, closed in New Jersey and do it effectively uh, and with the least amount of expense because what's frustrating about these cases are they are money claims in which the medical provider is seeking to be paid more than what you've already paid them and so our challenge is always trying to get rid of these matters. Uh, so many of them have no jurisdiction in this jurisdiction. Uh, so many of them are just baseless that we have to just push back on our repricing. So let's dive into today's topic. Uh, and please bring your questions because this is an interesting topic. And I know it's one that challenges a lot of clients. So please jump in. Uh, let's make this as interactive as possible. All right. Uh, today's presentation is on medical provider claims. Um, next month, we're going to be talking about discovery, trials, appeals, and we've got a, a really great um, course uh, outline set out for us as we explore more about New Jersey workers' compensation law. Now, our mission at Lois Law Firm is to take control and stay in control of the New Jersey case. Remember that in New Jersey, you've got this one amazing advantage, and that advantage is that you control indirect medical. Uh, however, the petitioner can try to steal that control from you by filing a motion for med intent. And so our mission really here is to keep our clients in the driver's seat on their New Jersey workers' compensation cases so we can drive these cases forward to closure. Thanks for jumping into this webinar today. I'm hoping you're coming to the webinar live because uh, you're going to ask me some questions, which again makes this so much more fun. Um, please grab a copy of our handbooks. They are available on our um, firm website. That's loislc.com forward slash publications. All of our presentations are also uh, published as a podcast called Defending Employers. And that podcast, you can subscribe to it on uh, iTunes or Spotify or any of the major um, podcasting platforms. Or you can go to our website, loislc.com forward slash podcast and subscribe to our podcast, because I know so many of you um, listen to these in the car on the way in and out of the office as a way to catch up with what's breaking in New Jersey workers' compensation. I'm also going to point everyone to my partner, Christian Cisan's podcast. It's called Third Fridays, because guess what? It's released each month on the third Friday of the month. And this is really our next level podcast. Um, he does some client interviews on it, attorney round tables. He really tries to talk about uh, up and coming issues in workers' compensation. So if you want to get onto the cutting edge, uh, I would advise you to check out that podcast called Third Fridays, led by Christian Cisan, one of the practice group directors here at Lois Law Firm. Now, today's class uh, is approximately 45 minutes. Uh, there will be question and answer session at the end. Uh, please ask me questions. Uh, I will read your question out loud to the group so you know that I'm answering your question. Of course, I'll never say your name, uh, so go ahead and just ask that question. And this whole presentation is recorded, uh, so if there is something you want to go back 
and re-watch or share this with your team. Um, the videos are all available on our website, loisllc.com, and certainly the um, audio is available on our podcasting platform. So today we're going to talk about what a medical provider case is, what kind of discovery we can obtain, uh, how we handle them, how you can throw out those cross-jurisdictional claims, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about how these are going in the future, and especially based on the decision that we obtained here at Lois Law Firm in January, uh, the Watrick decision. So let's jump in. General overview. What is a medical provider claim? Well, the statute was amended in 2012 to officially allow these. Uh, they're called an application for reimbursement or provider payment, um, but really everyone just calls them medical provider claims or MPCs. There really is no petitioner. The medical provider is referred to as the applicant. And when these cases are filed, it's really the provider just claiming that they were not paid enough for the medical care that they provided to your workers' compensation petitioner and that they are due additional reimbursement or payment. That's the, the whole fundamental aspect of this case. It's just about money. Jurisdiction is six years from, uh, from the date the medical care was provided. It is the burden of the applicant or the medical provider to prove that the treatment was related to a workers' compensation case. And they also have to prove that the New Jersey Workers' Compensation Court would have jurisdiction over the underlying workers' compensation claim. This is because the actual injured worker doesn't have to file a formal claim petition. That's right. You'll have medical provider claims pending in cases where the work, injured worker themselves never brought a workers' compensation case. So that's, of course, very frustrating, but that's one of the positions we're in. The medical provider has to allege, and I've got a little screenshot here of what a typical medical provider claim looks like. They have to allege that they provided treatment, that the injured worker could have brought a New Jersey workers' compensation claim, and the amount in dispute. And I put up this example on purpose because this is such a ridiculous example. Uh, this is one that I ripped from our actual cases uh, where the doctor charged, um, this is for an arthroscopic procedure, a hundred and I think you can read it there, $180,321 for their arthroscopic procedure that they performed. Um, that's insane. But they also did a second thing here, which is they had a co-surgeon. Again, this was an arthroscopic procedure. And the co-surgeon also charged $180,321. So if you're not screaming and you know punching your desk in anger right now, you should be because that's so ridiculous. In this case, the payer uh, reimbursed $21,496 for the uh, first surgeon and $3,654 for the second surgeon, right? And that's showing the amount actually paid after that bill was adjusted. So I, on purpose, picked kind of a ridiculous example, but this is not, unfortunately, atypical. You do see these crazy out-of-band um, demands in here. Um, a medical provider network would avoid some of this. So most of our clients here at Lois Law Firm are utilizing a preferred provider network which is pre-negotiating or contracting rates for all medical services. Um, you know, most of our clients are not putting together their own network of providers. They are utilizing a vendor solution and some of the biggest insurance carriers that are writing business in New Jersey are also reselling their network. 
So if you're out there saying, wait a second, we don't have a preferred provider network right now for our New Jersey cases, you absolutely can go out to the market uh, and obtain one. And if you want to do that, I can even help you um, figure out which are the best ones based on which ones we're working with all the time. Um, for our clients that are using a provider network, we see amazing network penetration. Over 90% of the physicians that we would want to refer someone to, you know, within our normal specialties, are in those provider networks. And having that contract in place would prevent all of these medical provider claims because when the provider brings their ridiculously high demand for $180,000, you would simply point to the contract that you have um, become a party to by obtaining that vendor relationship and then say, wait a second, um, sure, you charged me $180,000, but under the contract we have with you, you know, the first surgeon fee cannot exceed, you know, for example, the $21,000 that was paid here. So that's one way to avoid all of these. If there is not a contract, though, unfortunately, the um, statute says that the provider is to be paid at the usual and customary rate. Well, what's usual and customary? Because remember, New Jersey does not have a fee schedule for medicals. And the statute says, quote, all fees and other charges for such surgeons and physicians treatment and hospital treatment shall be reasonable and based upon the usual fees and charges which prevail in the same community for similar physicians, surgeons, and hospital services. So this is why they're bringing these claims because they're alleging that in this area, they should be paid much more. This is really a challenge because again, they're going to hit you with these giant claims. Proper payment can be determined by the court and there is an unreported, unpublished decision in which, and it's an old decision now, uh, which says the judge can look at all the usual fees and charges that have been um, paid to that provider in the same location. So the judge can look at what the same insurance carrier or employer paid for the same treatment in the past. The judge can look at what another insurance carrier or employer paid in the past. The judge can look to what a private health plan would pay or what a cash payer would pay. And the judge can also look at the hospital or provider's uh, published fee schedule or fee rate schedule. The judge can also consider other sources like Medicare or Medicaid. And they can even point to other fee schedules. For example, New Jersey has a personal injury protection fee schedule that is um, payable in motor vehicle accident cases and apply that. So there's a lot of uh, different sources of payment that the judge of compensation is allowed to look at in order to determine what's usual and customary. It is wrong though for the judge just to simply say, well, they build this much, you have to pay it. The judge really has to look at all these other sources. Now, just to compare what I see in a typical bill, um, compare it to a neighboring state with a fee schedule, and obviously the big one, uh, neighboring New, uh, New Jersey is New York, the same procedure, a knee meniscal repair. The New York fee schedule would pay $5,827 if that was conducted in Manhattan. New Jersey medical provider bills typically $61,862 for the exact same treatment. And if you do the math, it's a roughly 10 to one. For some procedures though, and typically I'm seeing operating room rentals or surgical center room rentals, we see ratios ranging from 12 to one or 20 to one, meaning that the um, application uh, filed in the New Jersey workers' compensation uh, courts are demanding payment that would be 
12 to 20 times what you would pay for the same procedure under a fee schedule. Now, um, where there is uh, a contract, but or, or sorry, no contract, but our client used a repricing vendor, because remember, you have the right to reprice these using your medical utilization department or any um, computer system you have. A lot of our computers use things like Fair Health to try to determine what the right pricing strategy is. You're allowed to do that. But that means when you are paying those adjusted um, bills, that we have to be prepared as your defense counsel to defend that repricing, right? That's gonna be our role to make sure that we can defend it and explain it. Now, the way the typical medical provider case resolves is by way of compromise and settlement, um, and typically they are dismissed out of court. What typically happens is the amount in dispute is negotiated or compromised, our, our opinion is that you know we should be paying just pennies on the dollar if we're going to make a compromise offer, and then the matter is dismissed with an order of dismissal filed by the medical provider applicant themselves. Um, you don't have to compromise and settle these cases, and in fact, you can take them to trial. Uh, that's what we did uh, by bringing the case to a judicial decision in the Watrick decision, which many of you are familiar with. So you don't have to compromise these cases. You can ask for a trial, and you can get one. There is limited discovery in a medical provider claim, um, and that's because none is specifically allowed by the statute or the regulations that govern practice before the New Jersey Division of Workers' Compensation. So every time I file an answering statement to a medical provider claim, I also file a motion to compel discovery, and I serve the opposing party with a demand for answers to specific interrogatories. And those interrogatories are designed to ask the provider, who's now claiming that you need to pay them $180,000, to show me every other payer who actually paid that amount, okay? Uh, we also want to establish, through the use of our discovery devices, that the provider accepts things like Medicare or Medicaid, or is handling cases under private insurance, uh, or the personal injury protection fee schedule, which all exist in New Jersey. And if we can show that, then we can argue, hey judge, look, they do accept these much reduced uh, payments for these um, treatments, so that judge is the usual and customary amount that you should apply in this case, right? So that's where we push these uh, through the discovery process when they get litigated. It's very important when we defend these cases that we should focus on what the provider was actually paid. I don't care what they've billed other people. I care what other people paid them. That's how we're gonna determine what is usually, usually, sorry, usually and customarily paid in this jurisdiction. Uh, I know that they're invoicing people in giant amounts, but the truth is nobody's paying that. And it's interesting because when I serve a demand for discovery on opposing parties, they always resist it. I have to go to court and get the judge to compel them to respond. And when they do finally respond, they love to give me examples of all these bills that they've served on other insurance carriers or other self-insured employers. And then we have to go back and say, judge, it's not what they billed, it's what was actually paid. That's important. Um, and so that's where we focus in our discovery process. And this is typically where most cases resolve. Now let's turn to the example of the case that can't resolve or should not resolve because you shouldn't be settling them. The cross-border medical claims, okay? We have so many cases that we're defending. It's, it's roughly one in five of all of the medical provider cases that we're defending 
where the claimant was a New York workers' compensation claimant, received benefits under the New York workers' compensation schedule, but then traveled into New Jersey to get their surgery or get their care. And it's such a scam. I, I can't tell you what a huge scam it is. I, there's a doctor's group from Brooklyn, which just built a surgical uh, center in Bergenfield, New Jersey. Now, if you don't know where Bergenfield, New Jersey is, it's in Bergen County. It's a small little town. It is in no way like a medical hotspot or, uh, you know, if there's nothing natural about somebody getting in a uh, uh, ambulance in Brooklyn, New York, and taking the two-hour ride to Bergenfield, New Jersey to get their ambulatory uh, same-day surgery. But these doctors are building these um, facilities in New Jersey on purpose or sending their patients across the river on purpose so that they can then bring massive medical provider claims in New Jersey, alleging that they are due usual and customary payment and not limited by the New York medical fee schedule, right? And again, they're doing this because the fee schedule in New York is going to pay them roughly one-tenth of what the uh, usual and customary claim would be in New Jersey. So we're seeing this all the time. And there's a couple of them that are real bad offenders that are repeat claimants. They're, you know, they're, they're clearly shipping people into the state on purpose. Um, and so beginning in 2015 or so, we really started to see just massive deluge of these cases uh, where they've just started to file these medical provider applications in New Jersey seeking massive payments. And kind of telling the judge things like, well, judge, they have no redress in New York because the surgery took place in New Jersey, which is not true. Uh, or they're making arguments that, hey, this judge, so-and-so in this county in New Jersey is, is giving our, our clients these fees, so you should too. Um, and frankly, I think that these cases have been defended in a lazy and inexperienced way. And so this has turned into a huge uh, source of uh, claims filed in the New Jersey Workers' Compensation Court. Now, I'm going to point everybody to some case law that helps you. Um, there's a case called Anesthesia Associates of Morristown versus Weinstein. Uh, and that case, there's also a Surgicare case um, in New Jersey that says, in order for the Division of Workers' Compensation to even address uh, a cross-border claim, you know, typically a New York Workers' Compensation claimant getting treatment in New Jersey, that New Jersey would have to have jurisdiction over the underlying claim. That the fact that the claimant lives in New Jersey maybe or got some treatment here by itself is insufficient. And to give you a, a common example that we see, New York workers' compensation claimant works in New York, accident occurs in New York, but lives in New Jersey, gets treatment in New Jersey, and then the medical provider files claims here for usual and customary. Generally speaking, the carrier and the employer should resist jurisdiction. There should be a motion to dismiss for lack of jurisdiction filed in New Jersey. And you will win. And even though there are some barriers to resolving this, um, there is now um, an unreported decision that our firm obtained called Wattrick, W-O-T-T-R-I-C-H, which is the case now or the decision on point, uh, which will support your motion to dismiss. And we'll make the argument, hey, judge, the New York Workers' Compensation Board still has jurisdiction over this case. That's where this fee dispute should be heard, and you should dismiss it here in New Jersey. Now, the barriers to closing these are a lot uh, to do with the court system in New Jersey. It's just so slow. Um, judges are unwilling to conference cases. Parties are not ready to conference cases. Oftentimes, the applicant's attorney just doesn't even appear for pretrial conferences on these cases, so we have to tee them up by way of a motion. 
I've seen lazy defense counsel that just keeps kicking the can down the road and allowing these things to get adjourned and adjourned. Um, I think there is a huge knowledge gap um, uh, in the bench and in the bar where people don't know what to do with them or where the um, judge has been told by the applicant's attorney, hey, don't rule on this issue in the medical provider case um, because there's maybe an appellate case that's going to come out and provide clear case law on this. That is absolutely not true. There's nothing pen pending in the appellate division. And in fact, the attorneys who represent the applicants refuse to appeal anything to the appellate division because they don't want any contrary or contradictory case law. So all the barriers to closure really uh, don't aren't real and we should be pushing back against them. You should not have these medical provider claims and particularly the jurisdictional ones out there kicking forever for years and years. They should be resolved quickly and most jurisdictional ones where the claimant uh, got benefits under another state statute but just traveled into New Jersey to get treatment, they should be resolved in your favor by way of dismissal and we're the firm that's really leading the way on that. So uh, these cases are not going away. They're now about one in five of all of the cases filed in the Division of Workers' Compensation. If you have a contract with the provider or you have a, um, uh, a per preferred provider network that you've obtained, um, now is the time to use that contract and your defense counsel should be prepared to defend these cases all the way. Jurisdictional cases should be defended in one. Um, we, we have been winning those. I've been making the case law on this, so you should absolutely be winning these ones. Um, you do have, the discovery is key to winning dismissals, and, and that's really the place for us to focus. And it's up to your defense counsel to be an advocate and to overcome barriers to the judges not getting involved in these cases. We want the judges involved in these cases, and we want our motions moved forward. So um, uh, let's move over to questions. I'm hoping that we've got a lot of good questions for me to answer today. I picked a juicy topic because this is a topic, A, I'm very passionate about it. Uh, B, I, I really do see a lot of obfuscation and confusion around medical provider cases, uh, and I want to help um, get rid of that and, and clear this up. And again, I know this has become an obstacle for so many of our clients who are trying to resolve their matters. All right, so let me come over to the questions box, and I'm opening up the questions now. All right, so far I've only got one question. Come on, guys, give me some questions here. Let's have some fun. Uh, the first question comes in from Lee, and she says, or he says, uh, what provider network do you see the most success with? Okay, so first, we've been successful with every provider network um, because the provider networks in general have been really strong. Um, I've seen clients who have utilized the Blue Cross Blue Shield uh, of New Jersey network. Uh, that's got amazing network penetration. You're able to go out and basically you have somebody in every specialty, in every location, you know, geographically spread around the state. New Jersey's not that big of a state, but it's big enough that, you know, assembling your own um, sort of panel of doctors can be a little challenging. So, you know, we've seen great success with that because of the high network penetration. Again, it's over 90%. It might be 93 or 94%. Um, another, uh, there's, there's other ones out there, uh, but really as long as there's a preferred provider network out there, you're going to win these cases because you're just going to revert to your contract. And where there isn't, that repricer becomes important. And whatever the repricing technique or technology you used, whether that is an internal medical utilization review or you're using something like the Fair Health Standards, and as long as that explanation of benefits has been sent um, and you can help defense counsel present someone who can say, here's how we applied it and here's why we applied it. And again, these are rather relatively neutral things. Um, we've been very successful with that. 
Okay. Okay, Margo says, Greg, what if we do not refer to for defense and simply let uh, the judge rule on the billing issue? What would happen? What would happen is whatever the applicant makes the claim for, if it's not challenged, would be accepted by the judge. Uh, they will default you. So if you don't file an answer to an application for provider payment within 30 days, you will be defaulted under the New Jersey Workers' Compensation Statute. You'll get a second notice. Uh, and if he is not responded to, then the judge can um, rule on their own and grant the relief requested, which would be whatever the crazy billing amount is uh, that they've hit you with. So that is absolutely something you could do, but it, you really wouldn't be asking the judge to uh, make a decision in the absence of proofs. You'd just be simply defaulting. So not recommended. Uh, let me be just very clear in case my malpractice carrier is listening. Uh, highly not recommended, right? Uh, I would not do that. Uh, Lee asks a second question. Is there a percentage you recommend to settle the provider claim petition at before deciding to go to trial? Yeah, no, absolutely not. And I've heard laziness uh, from defense counsel. They say, well, you know, you pay 50 cents on the dollar and that's pretty good and you know, do No, because the claims are so outrageous. Again, to bill $180,000 for a simple surgery and then have a co-surgeon also bill $180,000, like that's highway robbery. Uh, in reality, paying $24,000 for that surgery is, again, higher than even a fee schedule would allow, uh, but it's more in the realm of reality. So when your attorney comes to you and goes, well, they asked for $180,000, actually it was $360,000, and you paid $28,000, how about we meet them in the middle? No, there is no middle there because that number is so crazy and inflated and unreal that they've never, you know, when we, when we challenge them, when we get the discovery, you see that no one's ever paid them $180,000 for a simple two-hour surgery with a co-surgeon, gets another $180,000. Like, that stuff is so nuts, and we should be so passionate about this that uh, the answer is absolutely not. There shouldn't be, and if attorney just tells you, oh, well, we split the baby 50%, like, that's not good advice. We really need to think about what does the repricer say? Can we challenge this? Uh, what does the discovery say? Um, something like uh, reasonableness comes into this, right? Reasonableness comes into this. And so some of the basics of like, well, on the average uh, doctor's bill, Medicare pays 12 cents on the dollar, right? Private health insurance pays 18 cents on the dollar. That's really where you should be thinking. I mean, in the, you know, are we going to pay them for every $100,000? Are we going to pay them $1,000? You know, something like that. Not splitting the baby. That um, will get you to bizarre outcomes. You know, that will get you to really ridiculous, absurd outcomes that you don't want to get to. So my recommendation is um, not to simply say, all right, it's a, we always split it at 50, you know, 50 percent of whatever their demand is and whatever we paid. No way. Um, I think we should be defending these with a repricer if there's no contract. We should be defending it with the contract if there's a contract. And we should be throwing out all those jurisdictional claims because those are simply absurd what's going on there. Absolutely absurd. All right. Um, so uh, as you're listening to this and, and I guess answer, as listening to answer question, you can tell how passionate I get about this stuff. And, and our whole team is, you know, our New Jersey workers' compensation defense team is five attorneys that we all look at this the same way. All right. Okay, here we go. Uh, Jason asked me a question. Greg, I have encountered a situation in which the provider's attorney is refusing to recognize a PPO contract, citing that there is a case pending in Superior Court regarding privity of contract. The PPO contract is most directly between the provider and the network, not the insurers. Have you heard about this? What is the status of the Superior Court case? What do you think the most likely outcome of this and its impact? Um, okay, Jason, what a cool question. And the answer is, 
now you're starting to see the amount of lies and obfuscation and craziness that the medical provider applicant attorneys are bringing to this, right? They're trying to confuse you like, oh no, um, just because you rented somebody else's uh, provider network, that doesn't work. Of course that is. That's the whole point of those contracts. That's ridiculous. That's just simply them smoking mirrors trying to avoid the dismissal, which they duly deserve. So uh, I don't know about that in, in case. I'm, I'm not giving you legal advice in it, but just in general, the idea of saying, oh, you have a contract with the provider, but it doesn't count is absolutely patently ridiculous. Uh, and the fact that uh, the workers' compensation judge should not be um, adjourning the matter or not reaching a decision on the case simply because something could be pending in another court. That just doesn't matter, right? New Jersey's Workers' Compensation Court is the court that has original and exclusive jurisdiction over medical provider applications for payment. So that's where this case should be resolved. A contractual issue handled in another court, who cares? That's just, you know, that's just, again, smoke and mirrors, Jason. So uh, my advice would be saying, no, um, I don't care about that, because they've always been saying this. And just to give you a little context, um, as we've been defending these cases over the years, that's one of the favorite go-tos for the applicant's attorneys is to pretend that there's some big decision that's about to be reached in another court that's going to impact all of these cases. And so, Judge, if you just do nothing on these, don't dismiss them, just do nothing, eventually, Judge, there's going to be some direction from the appellate division that's going to command us that, you sh that we should just get all this money paid. They said that early in the beginning, but you know what they've been doing over the last couple of years? not appealing anything because they don't want any appellate decisions because they don't want any clarity about this because obfuscation and smoke and mirrors is getting them paid, right? So for all those reasons, and, and again, you can see um, my energy about this because I think that um, if they're saying things like that or the judge is even kicking it, the workers' comp judge, um, there are things you can do to make the judge reach the case and the judge of compensation should never be sitting in that uh, workers' comp court saying, I'm not going to reach a decision on this because something may be someday in another court. Like that's just not an answer that uh, should be given. So um, happy to talk to you about that further, Jason. All right. Um, I'm hoping that this was a useful overview and we did get some really great questions, which I loved. So thank you so much for bringing those questions to me. Um, Happy to talk about this um, going forward. If you have any weird ones like the Jason situation, bring it bring it out to me because I would love to hear about the um, nonsense uh, and obfuscation that opposing counsel continues to bring to these cases. All right, everyone. I hope you have a great rest of the day and a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that our weather improves. This was a rainy New York weekend. I'm hoping next weekend will be nice for everyone. Uh, have a great week, everybody, and a happy Memorial Day.